Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, it is a wonderful thing to gather in your presence and to hear your word, Lord, echo again and again and again with exactly what you want us to hear. Your word is living and active, a double-edged sword. You have something to say to us, Lord. And I pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that you'd make us ready for what you have to say. That all of us, Lord, would be cut to the heart. That the places that need to be cut off would be. That the places, Lord, that need to be healed would be. So that the season ahead and even this day ahead would be different than our best expectations. That it would be better. So Jesus, our eyes are fixed on you. Our hearts desire you, whether we know it or not. Would you come and satisfy us all the way down to the depths of our soul and then use us to help feed all who hunger and thirst around us. We ask all this in your name, Jesus, and for your sake. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Happy birthday, all souls. Happy birthday. Come on. We are 14 years old today, and this was from the preview services we had way back in 2009. Look at that young man on that picture. He looks well-fed, rested. There's no gray hair. And then there's me. We're the same person, in case you couldn't tell. Right? It's... Today is a wonderful day to celebrate all that God has done, 
all that God is doing, all the relationships that he's formed here, all the lives that he has changed, we celebrate them all. This is Andrea Penjwani on our very first launch Sunday with our brand new All Souls sign. Joan, you've seen that in your yard. It's now fallen completely apart, right? And this is Liam. And our very first All Souls Church retreat to Harvey Cedars, we didn't comb his hair this way. The wind did, right? And so he's squinting into the sun. Just so many beautiful memories of what God has done that whet our appetite for what he will do. It hasn't always been easy, friends. In fact, you hear us talk a lot about how hard it's been in different times. And we dare not push push past that. But friends... Today is a day to celebrate what God has done. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. In spite, I tell people all the time, we're 14 years old. We are living proof that we have a gracious God, right? Because God has kept us alive and more than kept us alive. He's doing amazing things in our midst and we're hungry for more. And I stand before you today to tell you that we believe God is going to give us more. That God has more on the agenda for us this year than maybe any other year. This is our 14th year, which means it is 7 plus 7. In biblical language, the the number 7 is the number of completion or shalom. It is the number that says you're whole now. Now it's 7 plus 7. It is a double portion of his wholeness that I believe he wants for our church this year. And not just for us, but through us to many. A double portion. As together we learn to do this, learn to fight for our inheritance. And I'm going to explain what that means in just a minute. But I want you to see this picture. You see this young lady right here? That's Lynn Tyndall. There she is, walking away. Everyone turn and see Lynn. (laughs) You thought you could get away. Right? Here's Mark and Jenny Chang. This is the the day we were commissioned to plant All Souls Community Church at our mother church. This is from that very moment. And these friends knew that God had called them to do something, to lean into his promise and his calling to actually plant this place. And we believed with all of our hearts that God was calling us to do this. And 14 years later, I stand before you to say, we heard correctly and God is good. Amen. Amen and amen. But friends, I also want to point out to you someone you can barely see in the background here. This is my friend Joe. Who overdosed 10 years ago. My kids called him Uncle Batman. Because he would always come in like a superhero. Whenever they needed to be encouraged or lifted up. And as I look back and I see his story, and I remember my friend, my heart aches because I wish I knew then what I know now. Addiction is a horrible thing, and if you are struggling with it, we are for you, but I want you to know, friends, there is a spiritual battle that God has called us to, an inheritance of freedom that he has called us to that we walk in today that we had no idea about back then. And I wish I could have helped my friend like God wants us to help all of you and through all of you to everyone in our circles. Inheritance is all about what God has already won for us and wants to give 
to us. Are you following? How many of you have ever received an inheritance before in your lifetime? Most of us, right? We have money, house, jewelry, pictures, whatever it is. It's someone who has passed away who says, I love you. And I want to share the things most dear to me with you. We understand how this works as a, as a, as a culture, right? But if you, if you know that, if you've walked that path, you also know this. That in order for a will to actually come to fruition, it needs to be executed. Meaning that the details of that will need to be played out before you can receive what is promised to you. Sometimes in a will it's things like, hey, you need to set up a trust fund for my grandkids. Or hey, you need to forgive your sister and start talking to her again. Or you need to take care of my dog. Or whatever. There's lots of different ways stipulations for a will can take shape and place. But the bottom line is it needs to be executed. You following me? Yes? We're good? Okay. What if the stipulation for you to receive your inheritance was you needed to face your greatest fear? Would you do it? What if it was ask that girl out, talking to our teenagers here today, or that guy out, right? Or apply for that job, try out for that team, go cage diving with great white sharks. That's my greatest fear. I will do that one day. Mark my words, right? But here's the thing. Whatever's on your list, the question for you to wrestle with this morning is, would you do it? Be honest with yourself right now. Would you actually do it? Would it be worth it? Because I'm about to give you a little nuance that might change your answer. What if it wasn't just a call to face your greatest fear, but a guarantee that you would overcome? Would you do it then? A guarantee that you were going to win. That victory was already yours. That all you needed to do was step into it. Would you do it then? I hope your answer is yes. I hope it was yes the first time. But we have no reason to say no this time. Because our inheritance is guaranteed. We are about to start the book of Joshua. Which is all about fighting for an inheritance. Listen. That is already ours in Christ. It is about fighting for what Jesus died to give us. It's about learning to live our lives differently so that we don't walk around as if we are slaves when we have already been set free in Christ. You're, some of you who are, are tracking with me right now are wondering, wait a second, Joshua's in the Old Testament. How are we going to talk about Jesus and how does this apply to us? I'm glad you asked because we'll start unpacking that for the next year as we walk through this book together and we see just how clearly this Old Testament book, we call it old, but friends, it's not old, it's alive. It's living and active and it's for us. Where we're going this morning is simple. Be strong and courageous, God's inheritance is guaranteed. Be strong and courageous, friends, God's inheritance is guaranteed. I need to give you some background for how we get to the book of Joshua, how in redemptive history we get here. So we're going to camp out here for just a minute. I hope and pray you'll be able to follow along. Remember the way that God was basically starting to play out his promise to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, there's going to be a seed, a line of people that I'm going to raise up and through that line the Messiah shall come. And he chooses first Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob, while he is alive and his kids are growing up, his, his son, his favorite son, Joseph, gets sold into slavery. But what God, 
uh, was doing in, in allowing that to happen was he was taking the jealousy of his brothers and using it to bring Joseph to a place of prominence, second in command in all of Egypt, so that he could actually save his promised people, his chosen family. And so it's what that famous line at the end of Genesis, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, right? So you're seeing that start to play out, but then all of a sudden a generation goes by. And it says, when that Pharaoh died and the next Pharaoh came up, that new Pharaoh did not remember Joseph. And he started to enslave God's people, Israel. And for the next 400 years, they were enslaved in Egypt until, until they started to cry out. And God sent a deliverer named Moses. Thank you. Sent Moses in there. And he says, at the burning bush, Moses is a shepherd out in the middle of the wilderness. And he sees a bush that's on fire but isn't being consumed. And he gets close to it and he hears the voice of God and he sees God in person in the flesh and says he says Moses take off your sandals you're on holy ground I am going to send you to Egypt and Moses says I stutter I'm a broken man I murdered someone how am I going to lead anyone out of Egypt and God remember he promises this I will be with you do you remember that he says my name Moses for the first time ever I'm declaring my divine name, Yahweh. I am that I am. Tell him I am sent you. And tell him I am is with you. Wow. So he sends him into Egypt and he doesn't just declare something. He actually shows that declaration, that good news is shown, demonstrated with power. Ten plagues that when we read the Bible, oftentimes we just think, that's so weird. Why do he send all those frogs? Why would he turn the, the Nile to blood? Why, why the sun to, to darkness? It's just so random. It's not random at all. When you send Moses into Egypt and they worship Ra, the sun god, and they worship the god of the Nile, and their goddess of fertility is a frog, none of it is random. All of it is giving us a window into the underside, the spiritual realm into which God was sending his redeemer to win battles that God wins by absolutely annihilating those evil spirits. We call them demons. Old Testament calls them idols. Whatever we want to call them, that's the battle that God was going to win. And it then took place on the flesh and blood level where you see Pharaoh finally letting his people go. Do you remember that event that had to take place for Pharaoh to say, fine, get out, finally. It's called the Passover. The Passover, where God says, you need to take a spotless lamb and kill it. And then put its blood on your doorpost so that it covers your entire family. And as you do that, I will pass over your house. But if you don't, it's going to cost you the life of your firstborn son. Sidebar. I hope you're hearing in every one of these stories just how clear and clearly the person and work of Jesus Christ is found all throughout the Old Testament. Amen. A spotless lamb that needs to die so its blood covers you. And if, you, if it doesn't happen, a firstborn son is going to die. What is that all about? How random talking about firstborn sons needing to die so that blood can cover you. We're talking about Jesus there, even though they didn't see it. They will, as the story unfolds. 
And so you see at the Passover, they're finally able to, to go. And as they go, God says, I'm not done yet showing you my power. Because Pharaoh changes his mind and they're out in the middle of the wilderness and they're caught between a rock and a hard place because here comes Pharaoh's army and there's the Red Sea. They have no way to go. And what, is, what happens with the Red Sea? Do you remember? It parts the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land. And we think, what a cool miracle. How random. Not random. Because the sea is a picture of what? Death and chaos. The ancients believe it was a portal into the underworld. So what is God declaring when he literally makes a way through the sea? But that I am Lord even over chaos. I am Lord even over death. This was supposed to be a portal to Hades. Instead, I've brought you through the Red Sea to the promised land, which is a picture of heaven. This is the God we know and worship. This is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so you see this story start to play out. Now they're in the wilderness. And they're hungry and there's no food. So God says, you know what? I made everything out of nothing. So I'm going to make it rain bread so you can eat it. And it's raining bread. And they say in Hebrew, what is it? What is it? What is it? How do you say what is it in Hebrew? Manna. 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 And Moses is like, you're right. Eat the manna. God's providing for you. And then in the wilderness, in the desert, it's hot. And so you get thirsty. They've run out of water. They can't find anywhere. God says, I make stuff. It's what I do. I'm the creator. I don't need anything. So here's what's going to happen. Moses, strike that rock, and so much water is going to come out of it. It's going to feed all of my people, hundreds of thousands of them, and all of their livestock. And it happens. This is the God we know and worship. And then they bring, God brings them to Sinai. To the mountain of the Lord. And he calls Moses up there and gives him his ten commandments. And God's presence is there. He walks in front of Moses and blows the top of the mountain off. And it's shaking so much that people fall on the ground. And they say, don't let him speak to us anymore. We're scared. That kind of power and presence is the God we know and worship. It is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the Father of Jesus. And then something weird happens. It's not weird because it happens in our lives all the time. But it's weird based off of everything we just said. Because with all of these incredible miracles, you would think when God finally brings them to the edge of the promised land, and they send 12 spies into the promised land, and they see in the promised land, it is indeed what God promised, a land flowing with milk and honey, abundance. The grapes are so big, Two guys have to carry a pole just to have a bushel of the grapes, or whatever you call it. What is a bunch of grapes called? We're going to say bushel, okay? A bunch of grapes. A bunch of grapes. They're so heavy, one guy can't carry them. What? And they come back, and of the 12, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, are like, the land God has given us is amazing. Let's go take it. We can do it. But the other 10 say this. It's not just the grapes that are big the people they're giants in the land and we feel like grasshoppers next to them there is no possible way we can win did you hear it did you hear it the entire time the conversation has been about what Yahweh can do and when they feel overwhelmed by the enemy in front of them it becomes about what they can do. And so they rebel. 
they decide it'd be better to kill Moses and return to Egypt where they can have their sacred raisin cakes. Read the Bible, it's in there, right? And God intervenes. God stops them from killing Moses and says, because you have rebelled, this entire generation is going to die off in the wilderness. You will never see the promised land. But I'm not going to abandon you simply because you've abandoned me. Your children will see the promised land, but you will not. So for 40 years, an entire generation dies off in the wilderness. And then God brings them back up right next to the promised land where they were 40 years before and they win two huge battles against these crazy guys that we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. And both of those guys happen to be, spoiler alert, giants. And under Moses' leadership, they win those battles. And now they're at the edge of the promised land, right back where they were 40 years ago. Moses is about to die. He can't enter in. Because he gave in to his own version of fear and grumbling. When they were out of water again and he was frustrated with the people for all of their complaining. And he said, you rebels. And he hits this rock twice. Because he knows that it worked that way before. But God never asked him to hit the rock. He simply says, give my people water. He says, because you didn't trust me, you won't go into the promised land either. But God brings him up to the top of Mount Ebal. And there he shows them all of the promised land and then brings them, hear this, brings Moses to the promised land. It was never about a patch of land in the 1040 window called Canaan. Canaan has only ever been a window into the home we were actually made to know, heaven, which one day will be the same place we call earth. Heaven and earth, one reality, no separation. It's where the story's always been going, friends, and it's where it's going to continue to go. So you see Moses dies, and God raises up a leader whose name in Greek is Jesus. The Hebrew name Joshua in Greek is Jesus. There is an entire book of the Bible in the Old Testament literally named Jesus. Do you think that we should listen? Do you think there's something for us to glean from this book in the Bible? Do you think God has us here for a reason? It says of Moses, I love this little, I forget where I first heard it. It's not mine. But it says, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was someone. Then Moses spent the next 40 years of his life learning he was no one, so that in the final 40 years of his life, Moses could be used by God and turned into someone. Do you see this rhythm of death to resurrection? 120 years, 40, 40, 40. Where are you at in that cycle? Where do you want to be? Why does God have you here? Because you see, in our passage for this morning, he repeats three times the same message. Be strong and courageous. Did you hear it? There are no exclamation points in Hebrew. None. And so when God wants to say something and put that exclamation point at the end, he repeats himself. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's simply his way of saying, the holiest God is the Almighty God. 
And so when he wants to make a point and wants us to not miss it, he's going to repeat it three times in nine verses. I think he has something for us to listen to. Three times. Don't miss what it's going to take for you to inherit your inheritance, for you to get what's been promised to you, for you to live into the person God has made you to be. Verse 6, the first time, be strong and courageous. He's talking specifically to Joshua, the leader. He's saying, I want you to know, here's my promise. The land is yours. Remember that thing that we called it the entire time in the wilderness, the promised land? Well, there's not a, a... a a section of the Middle East at this time that says promised land on it, right? It's Canaan. Canaan is the name of the land. They only call it the promised land because God promised it to them. And so they're taking God at his word. Remember, we talked about this weeks ago when we said when God speaks something, we can and we must bet our lives on it. Joshua here is being called out by God to bet his life on the reality that they're going to win their battles. Everywhere your foot steps, I'm going to give it to you. No man, no army, no country will be able to stand against you. Why? Because the same thing that happened with Moses is the same thing that's going to happen with you. Please don't miss this, friends. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. It even comes out when we look at the second time he talks about being strong and courageous to obey the laws that Moses gave. You're like, oh, here we go, obeying the law. This is where we get back into all that religious stuff and and it's crazy. And he says, no strength. I want you to learn to meditate on the law. What does that even mean? Why would he be talking about that? Do you remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the one who doesn't stray, but who meditates on the law of the Lord. For he or she will be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit no matter what the season is. You following? God is telling us something. He's telling Joshua something from the beginning about the purpose of the law. About the purpose of his word, in other words. That it's not arbitrary. Do you realize that? There are books written about the health benefits of living a kosher life in the ancient world. Did you realize that? All the unclean animals, they're not just randomly unclean. They're unclean because when you can't actually, we have no refrigeration, and you can't actually uh, take care of your meat after you've slaughtered it. There are certain animals you don't want to put on salt. You know what we call them? Unclean animals. God isn't being random. He's being caring as a father, saying, don't eat this stuff. Don't eat the bottom feeders of the ocean. Instead, eat the fish. Why? Because that's how you're going to be healthy, because you don't have modern medicine like we do. So there are real reasons for these clean laws. But understand this, friends. It's not just about the clean laws. When God creates, when God spoke the law, the Ten Commandments, He wasn't randomly thinking of things for us to do. For God's people, hmm, what would be a good thing? Hmm, how about don't murder? Yeah, maybe that. Right? He didn't didn't come up with this stuff. The law is the outworking of God's character and his heart. The attributes of God are manifest in the law of God. And so... We don't murder people because ours is the God of life, not death. 
We don't commit adultery because ours is the God of hesed, covenant faithfulness. He never cheats on us. He never abandons us. He never gives us what our sins deserve. Do you understand? It's not random. It's on purpose so that we can draw near to him and know his heart, even as we thrive in his world. But the last time that we see this, this charge to be strong and courageous in verse 9, it's all about fear, which you'd think from the beginning that would have been the first thing he's talking about. But it's been throughout all of the other ones we've already mentioned. But here he leans into it specifically. Do not be dismayed because he knows what they're about to walk into and he knows what Joshua needs. Don't miss this. This is part of Joshua's burning bush moment. When God calls Abraham to himself, and he's going to empower him with the promise of his presence. He calls him close and he makes that promise. I will be with you wherever you go. He makes the same promise to Joshua here because he knows that Joshua is about to face those very same giants. Moses went into the promised land or went up to the promised land and lost spiritual battles lost them and the people lost them joshua is about to go right up to that same promised land and god wants them to learn to win those very same battles please hear this what the people of israel were unwilling to do was to die to themselves they were in the middle of what they thought was possible and for many of us friends this is where we stumble because we say, I know God's calling me to this, but how can I possibly do it? To which this text and every other text in the Bible answers simply this. He's not asking you to do it on your own. He's asking you to trust that he can do it through you. Are you willing to die to yourself and please don't miss this. Remove the foothold that fear has in your life. Because in case you missed what happened with that generation, they all died in the wilderness. They lived a self-fulfilling prophecy. They chose to, get, to give in to fear, and God said, okay, you can live the next 40 years of your lives with the ramifications of your decision. But that won't be the end of your story. Do you hear the grace? Because when we hear this, we're like, oh my goodness, I've, I'm afraid and, and God's gonna give me into my, let me give into my fear. He will let you give into your fear. But he won't stop pursuing you. And his grace won't give up on you. His story has an end and it's already been written what we need to learn to do, friends, is to lean in and walk in what has already been won for us. His presence is the power that we see in our text for this morning. You can be strong and courageous. Why? Because God is already with you. He's already won the battle. He's promised the land to you. He's won for you. And he's even saying, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you everything you need for that calling in front of you. You've heard us say it like this before. Whatever God calls you to do, he will empower you to do. That's what he's calling Joshua to live into. And friends, it's not just Joshua. 
right? You see all throughout redemptive history this reality that plays out again and again and again. When the people of Israel the first time get near the promised land of Canaan and they see the giants, they are afraid and they go flying. They spend 40 years in the wilderness. But when they come back and Moses defeats Sihon and Og, who are, we already said, giants. They lead a people of giants. God shows them even before they get to the promised land. Do you see the tenderness of God? I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid you're going to repeat the same mistake. And so even before you get to the place where you think you're going to have to muscle up, I'm going to show you that I'm all the power you need. I've got all the authority that's necessary to defeat the giants in front of you. All you need to do is now remember what just happened and believe. Remember and believe. And the same thing is true for us. We've already said it. Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. In Greek is just another way of saying Jesus. Joshua in Hebrew is Jesus in Greek. But did you understand what the son of Nun means? Nun in Hebrew means eternal. It's like God saying, hey, just so you don't miss it. Just so you don't miss what's going on here. Nun in, in Hebrew means eternal. So literally, Yahweh is salvation, son of eternity. Is Joshua's name. That he's declaring every time he writes it and every time they say it. So that God's people don't miss it. So that we don't miss it. That Joshua is such a window into who the eternal Son of God actually is and came to be. Emmanuel, God with us. This is what it looks like, friends. Remembering what he's done and then walking by faith in what he's called us to do. This is the story and the charge in front of us. And the question is going to be the same. Will you? Will you? Will you choose in this season? If many of you, I saw you applauding when I said before, yes, a season of double portion, a double portion of his blessing that we're going to lean in and God is going to lead us down this road and we're going to see victories like we've never seen before. And I believe that. I do believe that. That God is going to do that in our midst. And what the invitation is, is for each of you to be a part of that. A part of that. Because God can do for all of us while some of us stay on the sidelines and don't participate. While some of us wait and we say this. This is what we do in church. We say, you know what, I'm not especially comfortable with that. I'm not, I don't know theologically if I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't quite feel like this is, this is, you know, my comfort zone. And so rather than lean in and really wrestle so that we can get to this place of actually being on the same page together, we do as we push back and we say, well, therefore it must be wrong or bad, but not for me. Can I tell you, friends, that if that's your struggling point, if that's your wrestling point, God has you here this morning to invite you to a different path. A different path that says, I know the God of the universe who does things 
well beyond my ability and even my understanding. It doesn't mean we don't search the scriptures. It doesn't mean we don't go after truth. We're doing that every Sunday. We're doing that every week in our disciple groups. We're pursuing him in prayer. We're going after it, but we need to hold with both hands open what we think is possible for God because we always sell him short. Always. And what we have been experiencing in this last season together as a church, friends, is watching God set captives free. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. Paul said those words to the church in Ephesus. What we've been watching is God taking people who forever thought they were just uniquely broken. Whoever thought that, for, or forever thought that the giants in their lives were just too big for them. There was no way to get through that, or to get over that, or to be free from that. Who forever thought that maybe it's just counseling that I need. I just got to go after some counseling. Counseling is great. Please, get some if you need some. I'm not disparaging counseling. But what I'm saying is, counseling is not enough when there is a spiritual battle that's going on for your soul. And what we have seen again and again and again is people set free, friends. Set free, friends. And it doesn't mean it's a magic potion and you're all better. It's a process. It's a road. It's a journey. And we're on it together. We're on it together. And it's beautiful to watch what God is doing. So, beloved... The question we started off with, if you were promised an inheritance, a whole new world, a new creation, a new authority, a new power, healing in your heart, the ability to share good news with others and watch their lives change, the ability to not be burdened with fear and shame every day of our lives. If that inheritance was promised to you from God, guaranteed because of what Jesus did on the cross, would you fight for it? Would you die for it? Die to self so that Jesus can raise you to new life. Would you? No. Will you? Because friends, that is going to be the invitation every Sunday, every week, every disciple group, every opportunity. More of him, less of me. Death to resurrection and learning to walk in the power that actually defeated the grave. Beloved, this is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to live life differently. We welcome you to join us. We welcome you to walk this path by faith. We're on it together. And we're going to start hearing testimony after testimony. There are many that could already speak this morning. I see your faces. But we're going to start hearing testimony after testimony of just how amazing our God is the one who walks on the water, the one who splits the sea, the one who's in the fire beside me. That's our 
God. His name, friends. Amen. In case you missed it, his name, friends, is Jesus. There are some of you here this morning that Jesus has been tugging at your heart for a long time. You've resisted dying to self. You've not given your heart to him. If that's where you're at, please know there's a reason why he brought you here. It's because he sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And he wants your heart. Today's your day. Don't let another day go by. Today's your day. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to know you. I want you to take the lead here. Will you help me? And then just let one of us know. We'd love to walk this path with you. There are others of us here this morning where we're really just stuck in this place that we feel like we have no option but to be stuck in, and that's part of the lie of the enemy of our souls. We don't have to stay stuck, friends. What we need to do is die. Like, Whoa, die? Yes. Die to ourselves, to our ability, to our control, to our pride, and start living for Christ. We're about to do some baptisms, friends. We've got two on the books that we know of. And there may be a couple more of you here today who want to jump in because you're feeling that call. And we welcome you. But friends, as we do that baptism, I want you to realize this is a picture of what we just talked about. We're going to see a young boy, Timmy, get down in the water and demonstrate with his whole body, I surrender completely to you, Jesus. I'm dying to self, baptized into the death of Christ and raised to new life. And we're going to see Jackie. Walk in the freedom that is hers in Christ and get in that water and come out a renewed believer, a sign of obedience with the blessing of obedience upon it. If God is putting it on your heart to get in this water, there's no dress code. Just take your shoes off and come forward. But friends, no matter what, no matter what, don't leave this place without being real with where God wants more of your heart than you've been willing to give him and why you haven't been willing to give it to him. He already knows, and he already loves you. You're already forgiven in Christ. That's part of your inheritance. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no division. There's only Jesus and his love for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we rejoice this morning. Yeshua, Joshua, we rejoice this morning that Yahweh, our God, is our salvation. And that when you put on your skin, Jesus, you, you, you didn't shy away from entering into the fullness of our story. 
You know our pain. You know our aches. You know our fear. And you've overcome it all. And we rejoice in that, Lord God. We rejoice that there is an inheritance waiting for us in heaven and an inheritance that is breaking in as heaven comes to earth. And Lord, we want to walk as those who have already been adopted into that family. We want to walk as those who've already been baptized in that spirit. We want to walk as those who have been set free and therefore we must not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus, would you show us today how to live into that inheritance? But I pray first and foremost that you would touch our hearts with your love so that every one of us in this place and every one of us online would taste freshly today, Lord. The breathtaking, life-changing, soul-refreshing, love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We adore you, Lord. And we want more of our hearts to belong to you. Show us how to fight for that and to believe and trust the one who's already won for us. Have your way, Lord. Remove all fear come with your light and your life. In Jesus' name we pray.